0: Okay guys, if you want to grab your Bible and open them up at Job chapter 40. Uh, chapter 40, and we're going to read from verse 6 of chapter 40 all the way through to chapter 42, verse 6. Uh, this is the Lord's second speech to Job. Um, job is a good, godly man who has suffered extreme loss. He's lost his children, he lost his job, all his money, uh, he lost his reputation and he has lost his health. And he has been crying out to God uh, for some answers. And and as we've kind of looked at at Job's cries, we've seen some amazing uh, statements of faith that, that, that this man has uttered in his pain. But as Job's suffering has gone on, he's also made some accusations against God that are just wrong. And one of those accusations has been that God is unjust. Now that is what this speech is going to address and God's response to that, much like his first speech that we looked at last week, is to remind Job of just how little he knows and how powerful God is. And he's going to make that point by using an illustration uh, using two mythical creatures called the Behemoth and Leviathan. Uh, which he gives very cool descriptions to. So let's read it. Don't worry if it's a bit confusing at first. Um, Hopefully as we walk through it, it will make uh, a lot more sense. Let's just read what God has to say to this man who has lost everything and accused him of being unjust. Chapter 40, verse 6. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's and can your voice thunder like his? And adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath, look at all who are proud and bring them low, look at all who are proud and humble them, crush the wicked where they stand, bury them all in the dust together, shroud their faces in the grave then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. Look at Behemoth, which I made along with you, and which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength it has in its loins, what power in the muscles of its belly. Its tail sways like a cedar, the sinews of its thighs are close-knit. Its bones are tubes of bronze, its limbs like rods of iron. It ranks first among the works of God. Yet its maker cannot can yet its maker can approach it with his sword. The hills bring it their produce, and all the wild animals play nearby. Under the lotus plant it lies, hidden among the reeds in the marsh. The lotuses conceal it in their shadow, the poplars of the by the poplars by the stream surround it. A raging river does not alarm it. It is secure, though the Jordan should surge against its mouth. Can anyone capture it by the eyes or trap it and pierce its nose? Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for life? Can you make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young woman in your house? Will traders barter for it? Will they divide it up among the merchants? Can you fill its hide with harpoons or its head with fishing spears? If you lay a hand on it, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. I will not fail to speak of Leviathan's limbs, its strength and its graceful form. Who can strip off its outer coat? Who can penetrate its double coat of armour? Who dares open the doors of its mouth, ringed about with its fearsome teeth? Its back has rows of shields tightly sealed together. Each is so close to the next that no air can pass between. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. Its snorting throws out flashes of light. Its eyes are like the rays of dawn. Flames stream from its mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Its breath sets coals ablaze and flames dart from its mouth. Strength resides in its neck. Dismay goes before it. The folds of its flesh are tightly joined. They are firm and immovable. Its chest is hard as rock, hard as a lower millstone. When it rises up, the mighty are terrified. They retreat before it thrashing. The sword that reaches it has no effect. Nor does the spear or the dart or the javelin. Iron it treats like straw and bronze like rotten wood. Arrows do not make it flee. Slingstones are like chaff to it. A club seems to it but a piece of straw. It laughs at the rattling of the lance. Its undersides are jagged potsherds, leaving a trail in the mud like a threshing sledge. It makes the depths churn like a boiling cauldron. It stirs up the sea like a pot of ointment. It leaves a glistening wake behind it. No one would think, one would think the deep had white hair. Nothing on earth is its equal, a creature without fear. It looks down on all that are haughty. It is king over all that are proud. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears have heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Well, let's pray and we'll look at this speech from God uh, together. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we need your help. We can't understand Uh, this without your help, please, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you give us understanding? Would you give us wisdom? And would you help us see something of your greatness? Father, as we study this speech, as we get under the skin of what it is that you said to Job all those years ago, pray that our response would be the same as Job's, that we would marvel at the wonderful knowledge of who you are, And that we would repent and worship. Please would you show us yourself from your word. And would you humble us. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Is God fair? Is is he good and all powerful? You see how we understand the answer to that question will have a dramatic effect on how we approach suffering. And that is what Job has really been wrestling with. Last week we saw in in God's first speech that, that God challenged Job on the fact that Job had been critical of his counsel, that is of his wisdom, his way of running the world. And in this speech, God is going to pick up on the fact that Job has been critical of his justice. So we live in a world, we were thinking about creation last week, we live in a world that is filled with wonder and beauty and, you know, that screams to us of the wisdom of the creator. But the reality is that, that whilst we do see that in creation, this world is also broken. There is hurt, there is evil, and there is tears. So is the God who runs this world, is he good, and is he just? Uh, I remember watching an interview with Stephen Fry. Um, I'm sure most of us know who Stephen Fry is. He, he's the host of that QI game show. A uh, Real smart guy, real egghead. And he did an interview once um, for an Irish television show. And he was asked in that interview what he would say to God if he met God after he died. And Stephen Fry responded by saying, I would say this to him, how dare you? Bone cancer in children, really, how dare you? How dare you make a world in which there is such suffering? Now that, that is a foolish accusation from one who's very smart and we'll see why that is a very foolish thing to say but nevertheless there's something in that that resonates with what a lot of people feel like how can God be good if he is allowing this evil to continue think about just these great acts of evil that we see just this past week what we were praying for in Afghanistan, somebody goes into a hospital and deliberately targets a maternity ward and kills 24 women and children in that maternity ward. That is just evil. And so the obvious question is, why did God allow that to happen? And Job has been, Job has been wrestling with this question. But Job is not some atheist just saying this in the comfort of his own home so that he can have an excuse for not having to think about God and do what he wants in life. Job is a believer who who loves God, who's followed God all his life and he is crying out from the pit of suffering, why God would you let me suffer when all I've done is seek to live faithfully for you? How could you let me go through this? How... How is it just to treat me this way when we were friends? Some of us listening to this have been victims of great evil done by others. Some of us have maybe experienced suffering that's just come out of nowhere. And some of us might not have, but we will have friends or family who have, people in the church that we know who have gone through these things. So so what do we do with this? With the problem of evil. Is evil just given a free reign? That is what this speech is going to address. So it might have been confusing when we read through it, like the descriptions of these creatures, but that is at the heart of what this speech is going to address. So it's profoundly relevant to us today. Now, we can sympathise with Job's feeling And we've seen that there are many in the Bible who express the frustrations of not knowing what God is doing and why God allows certain things to happen. And it's important, like we've said, that we express that to God. Why, God? That we pray that to Him. But we need to be very careful. We must always remember that suffering, no matter how extreme, does not give license to sin. And whilst we must be emotionally honest, that, that honesty must not bleed over into accusations that basically make out that we know better than God, that God is wrong and we're right. And, and I, think, I think that's where it's got to with Job. And so Job, Job needs to be humbled and he needs to realise that what he has said about God's justice is wrong. Now, it is not cruel, said this last week, it is not cruel, nor is it unkind for God to do that. For God to remind us that he is God and that we are not. That, that he is good and that we are not. That is the most helpful knowledge you could ever have in suffering. And it will transform Job when he gets it. God never answered the why, never, throughout the whole book of Job, he never answered that why question, but he does answer the who. And that is what we need to know. And that's what God's going to tell Job now. And he begins with a rebuke. You can see it in verse six. Verse seven, sorry. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Now, um, if you remember a couple of weeks back when we looked at Elihu, that was the very reason that Elihu got angry with Job. That Job has discredited God's justice but according to God that he has done that to, to show how he is in the right to make himself look good. He's condemned God in such a way in which he's basically said, look I am right, I know what is best and God you have not done well in this situation. See this is the fundamental problem with with thinking like that, with, with what Stephen Fry has said and with questions that we ask on God's justice. The problem is that our assumption is that our way of understanding the world is always right. We're always right. We know what's best and God therefore has to play by our rules. He And if he doesn't, he owes us an explanation. And when you think like that, basically you're you're treating God as if he's down on our level and and we're kind of above him, marking him on how he does. And so do you see what God says to Job, verse 9? Job, do you have an arm like God's? Can your voice thunder like his? If you know so much, Job, then why don't you have a go at governing the world? So he basically goes on to say in verse 10 to 14. Why don't you clothe, adorn yourself with glory and splendor? Why don't you go and survey the vast arrogance of humanity? Why don't you crush them in your wrath? Why don't you sort it all out? If you can then, verse 14, I myself will admit to you, Job, that your own right hand can save you. The point in all this is that Job has to say, what. Well, I can't do that well if you can't do it then what right do you have to question the God who can if you can't save yourself from evil then why do you quiz the one who can save you look this is, this is not cruel this is an essential reminder that in our pride we mustn't reduce God to our level he is infinitely greater and therefore we, we can't expect to understand all that he's doing all the details of of how this is working out but what we do need to know what we desperately need to know is that evil and suffering are not pointless things that are happening even suffering and death are not out with his control and so God is going to illustrate that point and he's going to illustrate it by talking about two mythical creatures the behemoth and the leviathan and the effect that the effect that this speech will have on job it, it's a much stronger effect than the first speech had in the first speech. Job was silenced as he thought about god 's majesty, but as he listens to God now there's a deeper experience of of god of god's power, and it 's as if he he sees the goodness of God and he realizes that although he is small and although he doesn't know everything his life is in the hands of a God who is good and who is almighty and who is powerful and that is what he will call wonderful knowledge so let, let's look at how how kind of Job gets to that point what is it that God's saying here with these two creatures Behemoth and Leviathan uh, well apart from being good names for a heavy metal band, we've got to see that, that these creatures are creatures. But what, like, what kind of creatures are they? Uh, people have been divided in interpreting this. If you look at uh, commentators, um, some commentators think that behemoth is another term for hippo and leviathan is just a crocodile. But there's some big problems with taking that view. Uh, Firstly, it it doesn't actually quite match the descriptions. Like the hippo, for example, does not have a massive tail. Verse 17 says, you know, it's got a wee, tinsy little tail. Uh, And crocodile, uh, as far as I'm aware, crocodile does not breathe fire. And that's what Leviathan does if you look at chapter 41, verse 19. But secondly, I think most convincingly, to, to view these creatures as the hippo and the crocodile it doesn't actually make sense of the context so the issue here is God's justice and what God says will will lead Job to this kind of awe and wonder and repentance so it doesn't seem likely that God is saying oh, you're challenging my justice Job uh, oh well look at the hippo and look at a crocodile and then that leads to this kind of repentant response from Job you no know, there's something else going on here What are these creatures? Well, whenever you see something in the Bible that's confusing, um, just a a kind of helpful tip, it's helpful to see, is this mentioned elsewhere in the Bible? The Bible is the best way to understand the Bible. Now, the behemoth isn't mentioned anywhere as far as as I'm aware, but we do hear about this Leviathan creature. He's actually mentioned quite a lot in the Bible. In fact, even in the book of Job, if you were to go back, way back to Job chapter 3 verse 8, Job talks about Leviathan being this creature that's caused his suffering, this creature that can um, wipe out the day. So it's something supernatural. If you were to look at Isaiah chapter 27 verse 1 and Psalm 74, you can check out these passages later. Um, you would see that Leviathan is mentioned there as this great sea serpent, as the kind of embodiment of evil and chaos. When we get to the New Testament, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, Leviathan is identified as the great dragon, as Satan. So the Bible makes it clear that this creature is Representative of the devil. In fact, uh, um, at the time of Job, uh, Leviathan and Behemoth were popular storybook figures. There were these kind of mythological creatures that you would read of in other cultures that were symbols of, of chaos and evil. Um, I guess, like in the stories we have today, you know, you've got kind of symbols of, of bad guys, someone like the Joker from Batman one of the commentators makes the point that the behemoth is actually like a picture of death this kind of great big devouring monster kind of like how we would use you know the grim reaper as a symbol for death today and i think that that makes sense to to link death with the devil because they're linked together throughout the scripture so so here's what we've got here we've got two beasts symbolic of chaos and evil of death and the devil and, and look at how God kind of goes into detail describing them. He's, you can see he's, he's trying to get Job just to realise how powerful and how terrifying these creatures are. Look at Behemoth, first of all, verse 15 of chapter 40. God says this, Look at Behemoth, which I made along with you, and which feeds on grass like an ox, What strength it has in its loins. What power in the muscles of its belly. Its tail sways like a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are close-knit. So think of just this huge creature like, um, I don't know, Godzilla or something. Huge and powerful. No one can come near it. Only God, verse 19. Only God, its maker, can approach it with the sword. In other words, here we have a creature... That can only be killed by God. It's not a hippo, something far greater and more terrifying than that. Verse 24, look what God says Can anyone capture it by the eyes or trap it and pierce its nose? Then God goes on to describe in chapter 41 Leviathan, and kind of most of the time is given to describing Leviathan here, this, this great sea monster. You know, you can picture it um, as, a, as a huge monster from a film like Jaws. Remember that famous scene in Jaws, we're going to need a bigger boat. Or something from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Or, you know, the, the Kraken uh, from Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, you can tell I've just been watching a lot of films in lockdown. So Leviathan is this great sea serpent, this, this embodiment of evil. Verse 1, God asks Job of chapter 41, Can you pull it in with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you, Job, for you to take it as your slave for life? I love verse 5 as well. Can you make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young woman in your house? It's like you're a little girl at home asking for a puppy and you come home with the Loch Ness monster on a leash. Do you think you can do that, Job? What's what's God doing here with these questions? He's trying to get Job, look, think about the monster that is Satan, that is evil. Think of how terrifying that is. Do you think that you can control that, Job? Look at verse 9. Any hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. But then look what God goes on to say. This is really interesting, right? If evil is Satan, is this terrifying beast that no one can, can stop apart from God, how much more terrifying then must God be? if that's the creature what about the creator who made him? Verse 10b who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. Everything belongs to God including behemoth and leviathan, death and the devil including those terrifying forces of evil. You see this is what the Bible teaches and it's what the book of Job has been teaching us. And it makes all the difference when we think about evil and injustice. There is no battle between God and Satan. Okay? There's not this the forces of good fighting the forces of evil. There is God supreme over everything. And everything that is good and bad is underneath him and answers to him. We saw that right at the very beginning of Job. That's why it's a, it's a kind of fitting ending to this book. Satan can only do what God permits him to do. And what God goes on to do in, in verse 12 to 34, uh, he, he, he describes in great detail the power and terror of this, this creature. Its, rows, uh, uh, its back is like a row of shields. It, it breathes fire and smoke from its nostrils. No human being is able to hurt or destroy it. Just look at the very last um, description. Look at verse 33 right at the end. Nothing on earth is its equal, a creature without fear. It looks down on all that are haughty. It is king over all that are proud. This is the devil. He's described in the New Testament as the prince of this world, the king of pride. And here he is compared to a terrifying sea creature, but a creature who is nonetheless answerable to the creator. So what is God saying? (laughs) What is God saying here? How does this kind of elicit such a strong response from Job? Well, when we think about evil, what do we learn? Two truths from this. Firstly, death and the devil are terrifying realities that we have no control over. These great monsters are described in such detail by God to make Job feel small and to help him see how completely underqualified he is and we are when we start to challenge God's rule over evil. It's far more complex, far more terrifying, Job, than you could realize. The devil, the great Leviathan, was the one who inflicted Job's suffering. And he is active in this world. C.S. Lewis um, wrote a famous book called The Screwtape Letters. And in the introduction to that book, he made the point that there's often two mistakes we make when it comes to Satan and his demons. The first mistake is that we see them everywhere. So much so that we just blame everything on Satan and we take no responsibility for ourselves. But the second mistake we make is to completely ignore them. As if he is not there and not active. Satan is active and he wants to destroy those made in God's image. Violence, abuse, illness, death, lies, they come from him. But evil is not just a thing out there. It's not just something that we occasionally see on the news. You see, when we accuse God, we make we make out as if evil is just out there. Like it's just something that's out there. And we're, we're the neutral observers. We're like invigilators at an exam marking God on, on how he's getting on dealing with this problem of evil. Evil's not something that's out there. Evil's something that's inside all of us. And we see it ultimately in our pride. And the very fact that we think that we would know better. See, that is how God describes the devil, how he describes Leviathan in verse 34 as one who is king of all the proud. We are proud. Even Job, who is the best of us, and make no mistake, he is the best, most faithful follower in the Bible. Even he has pride. The best of men are men at best, as the saying goes. And that pride has come out in these accusations he has made against God. See, sin is when we put ourselves in in the centre and we ignore our maker, when we make it all about us and all of us do that and therefore all of us are in allegiance with Leviathan. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, that without Jesus we're dead in our sins and enslaved to the devil. So when we ask God to eradicate evil and death. We're not standing on the sidelines. We're putting ourselves in the crosshairs. So not only are are we helpless when we think about these terrifying realities, but we're tied into this. We're part of the problem. But this is the good news. And this is the wonderful knowledge that we need. Death and the devil might be out with control. Out with our control but the second thing we see here is that death and the devil are in complete control of a good and powerful God that's what God is getting Job to see look he doesn't explain why, Job doesn't need the answer to that why question, if he got it then basically God would be saying you know Job was right in his accusations that somehow he owed Job that, that he is on Job's level and therefore God would cease to be God. Job needs to know that God is God. He needs to fear the Lord, and it's what we need. We we desperately need. It might not be what we want, but it is what we need. We need to know how powerfully in control of everything God is. Look, I don't know if you've ever um, if you've ever met a wild animal of such size and ferocity that kind of freaks you out. Um, I remember when I was wee, um, my granddad has a farm. And I remember being on that farm wearing uh, an all red tracksuit. It was the 90s. Uh, and I was wearing it in, in a field with this huge bull, which did chase me. As soon as I went into the field, it started running after me and chasing me. And it was terrifying. Or I don't know if you've ever encountered, you know, a dog that's just wild and snarling and barking. Whenever you meet like a wild creature, what you want to know is, is that dog on a leash? Is this animal under control? See, the devil is on a leash. Evil and death are not running free with God trying to stop it and pick up the pieces. Satan only does what God permits. And when Job starts to see that, when he listens to God's speech and it shrinks him down and it magnifies his understanding of God, he realises chapter 42, verse 3. I have spoken of things that I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. I see it now. I see how how little I know and my comfort is that everything all of it, even these wild untamable beasts of, of death and the devil are in the hands of a God who is good and who loves me. That is his wonderful knowledge and so Job repents of the wrong that he has said and I, I don't I don't think he realises it but I think at that moment when Job repents in some ways it's as if he's just put a nail in the devil's coffin if you remember if you've been with us through Job, remember right back at the beginning of this book the devil's accusation against Job, what the devil said to God was that Job only follows you because of what you give him not because of who you are And that prompts God to allow the devil to take everything from Job. And Job has been wrestling, not just with his pain for 42 chapters, but he's been wrestling with his relationship with God. Satan has been working throughout this time. This is how he works. He works in the background, causing Job to to doubt God's goodness and justice, speaking through the folly of Job's friends and And through it all, Job has still held on. And then right at the end, as Job listens to God's word and realizes not the answer to his why question, but to the who question, he realizes that is enough. And he repents and he worships God because of who he is. Satan has been proven wrong. And God has been honored and glorified. You see, God is in control of Leviathan. And whatever he allows the devil to do will only result in his good purpose. That is wonderful knowledge. And here's how I want to close, because that's wonderful then. It is infinitely more wonderful for us today. And we can know it with much more certainty. See, we have something that Job did not see but longed for. We have seen Jesus. And therefore, we have seen how Leviathan will ultimately be defeated. Uh, in the Gospels, Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, uh, Jesus meets a man who had just been tormented by evil and, and it had wrecked him. He was uh, possessed, not by one demon, but by so many demons that they were just simply called legion. And you know what happens when, when Jesus approaches those demons? There's not this battle of wills between Jesus and the demons. The demons fall at his feet and they cower before him and they beg him for mercy. And Jesus, with a word, drives these demons out of this man into a herd of 2,000 pigs and the pigs all run off the edge of the cliff. A foretaste of, of, the, of the judgment that Jesus will bring on the forces of evil. And you know, the people there saw that and they were terrified of Jesus. Of course they were, because with a word, he dictates and controls Leviathan. He has power over evil and the ultimate defeat of Satan and death, it comes at his crucifixion. You see, without Jesus, what Ephesians 2 said is true. We are dead in our sins and we are in allegiance with the devil. So the devil can say to God, look, If you're going to judge me and punish me, then you know you have to judge all them. You have to punish them. You have to wipe them out if you're to be good and just. But at the cross of Jesus, we see those accusations fall short. For the cross was the way that God in his infinite wisdom could destroy evil without having to destroy us. Jesus takes that punishment in our place. He suffers for it instead of us. And therefore, if we come to him in repentance like Job does, the devil's hold on us is gone. We are free. Do you see, the moment that it seemed that Behemoth and Leviathan had triumphed, when the Son of God was crucified, the darkest, most evil moment in history, but That moment where it seemed that they had won was actually the moment that they were destroyed. Who would have thought of that as the solution? We know so little. And yet through that, Jesus has set us free from every sin, from the devil's hold. And because he rose again, he set us free from death itself. Every act of evil will be used for God's purpose. And we can't see it now, but look at the cross because that's the wonderful knowledge that we have to hold on to. For all who trust in Jesus, he will not let your pain and suffering be pointless. What bad has happened to you That will not be the final word. The effects of that are not final. God and his unsearchable providence will use it. How we do not know, but it will be used for your eternal joy when you are with him, free from death, free from evil, and every tear will be wiped away. Let me pray. Father, thank you for that wonderful knowledge of how you govern and how you are in control of evil Satan and death. Thank you that we have seen how you can use the darkest moments to bring about the greatest joy. We have seen it at the cross. Father, what we need when we are wrestling through thoughts of injustice and thoughts of maybe thinking that you don't care or that you're unfair. What we need is to look to the cross, not to ourselves and our standards. Please, would you, in your wisdom, lead us to fix our gaze upon what the Son of God did for us on that cross how he destroyed all this sinful pride in our life without having to destroy us. Now we're free. God, there's such great knowledge here and we're just dipping our toe into it. Help us please just to grasp something of the majesty of who you are, of your power and of your goodness. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.